Paul um, writes a letter, and probably his most emotional letter um, that you have in the New Testament, to a, a group of people that um, are in danger of deserting the good news. In danger of walking away from it, or in the terms of Galatians, distorting it. Um, let me just read to you a little bit of uh, chapter 1, so you can catch this, this sense. Uh, chapter 1, verses 3, uh, is a part, at, uh, the, or verse 3 is, is a part of the normal kind of greeting that Paul would often do. Uh, so it says, May our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. In order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever. Amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from the gospel. You know, there's no book in the New Testament that I know of that turns so fast from this is greeting, hello, this is a wonderful gospel, wonderful God, to I am shocked that you are running away so soon from the God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Jesus Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Wow. You know, talk about a in-your-face jump. In, in uh, verse... Uh, in chapter 2, uh, just before the verse that Alan read and then a little bit into what Alan read, it, it says this, when Paul talks about himself in the gospel, he says, his response to it is, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no reason for Christ to die. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the mean of Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit by, because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you trying to become perfect by your own human effort? These passages are kind of a shaking. Paul is trying to shake this church, these, these Galatians. And, and there really are, are two ways and two uh, times in which people, it's described in the Bible, desert or start to walk away uh, from the gospel. Um, one of the times that that happens is, is specifically here in Galatians. And it's, it's when people, um, there's a corruption to the gospel. There's something that is taken out or adjusted to this good news in such a way that it no longer is good news. It becomes corrupted, maybe like a computer virus, to a really good program, and the program no longer works until you identify the problem and take out that virus so things can be like they're supposed to be. And that's what happened in Galatia is this church had, had heard and started to embrace um, an understanding about how it was to be a Christian and that they needed to embrace the, the Jewish laws and the Jewish customs to really be a really good Christian. And Paul said, no, that you're actually, when you do that, you're actually deserting the good news. That's a pretty powerful statement. The other time that it happens, um, and you see this in Revelation, in the book of Hebrews, in First Peter, you hear about it when Demas, Paul talks about Demas, loving this present world has deserted the gospel. Um, you, you see it when there's short-term pain, suffering, 
persecution, embarrassment, or a misplaced love in our life, um, that they determine, because of the suffering or the pain, or because of something that the gospel says, don't pursue this, they said, but I love that, I want that, and they desert, they leave the good news. Those are the two ways that, that desertion happens. A distortion, so we believe something that's not true. And we start to act on it, and we actually leave the gospel, or we're afraid, or we're suffering, or we're embarrassed, and we walk away from the gospel. Um, but the gospel is good news because it deals with what destroys everything of beauty. It, it takes care of the sin. It takes care of the rebellion. It takes care of what's wrong in our lives. It takes care of what's wrong in the, worth, in the world. That's what the gospel does. It restores us to a right relationship with God based on God's work, not on our work. So we, never, we don't have to wonder, have I done enough? Do I need to do more? Am I right yet or not with God? And it allows a person to love the person in the world that is the most loveliest, the most wonderful and the most amazing of all beings, who when we love, all of our other loves become organized appropriately. So we're no longer sometimes having different loves, love of family, love of doing our work well, other things. Those loves start to come together because that love of Christ orders all of those things together. And it can even take the bad things in life, which continue to be bad, and it can make good things out of them. Romans 8.28 says that. talks about how the, the bad things, God can take those and work those together for good. He doesn't say that those are ever good, but he says in the end they can be for good. The cross, the death of Christ is a perfect example of that. It is not good that Jesus died. Here is the Son of God. Here is the one who should have been embraced and welcomed. Instead, he's killed. But that evil that was done actually became the greatest good and greatest benefit for all of the world, all of creation, all of humanity. God takes the bad things and can make good things out of them. That's what the gospel is. But sometimes the gospel gets corrupted. The great reformer Martin Luther found in the book of Galatians good news that set his heart free and at the same time bound his heart to a great love or to a great lover, and that's God. And what did Martin Luther find in Galatians that opened up the doors to heaven, to life, to God? He found grace. He found that word that we talked a little bit about last week, but we're going to take more time to talk about this week, grace. He started to grasp the wonderful, unusual, the radical nature of the grace of God. Last week in Ephesians 2.8, we we, uh, looked at this very briefly. It says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. In other words, salvation, being rescued, being restored to God, has nothing to do with the good things we have done, but only about the loving and free gift that God gives. That's what grace is. It's a gift. It's free. It's given out of love. And in Galatians, we come back to God's grace again and again and again. But we start to discover, too, that we don't just start a relationship with God by grace. We're not just, as Ephesians 2 would say, saved by grace or rescued by grace. But we're called to live in that grace as well, in everyday life with one another. And that's where I think it becomes so hard. You know, when I started to prepare this sermon, 
um, the sermon changed because the idea of grace and trying to figure out how to present and how to talk about it and how to live into myself, that grace in a more full and beautiful and correct way uh, became more challenging. So I hope that I've taken, I'm going to try to take what the book says as a whole to, uh, to us and try to make it in this short sermon, well, fairly short, hopefully, um, sermon, something that you can take away. Not that something that you, can, you won't go to Galatians and go, well, that's all there is to say in there. There's lots more. But something that you can take away about living in God's grace, not just as an experience of rescue, but as an experience of your whole life and where we tend to go wrong with that. Paul has a statement at the end of chapter 2 as he's talking about um, letting Christ live. You know, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, He says this uh, phrase that I think is is very powerful and I think critical. He says this, "I I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. And I, I thought about it. I think that's kind of the key idea. Sometimes in our life, and I think what happened to some degree to the Galatians is they misunderstood the grace of God and they started to treat it as meaningless or without value for their lives, specifically now. And how we treat the God, grace of God determines if we are rescued and saved. But it also determines how we live. Because grace is something we receive and it's something that we live in for our whole life. And it reminded me of the challenge of grace. You know, grace is something that God gives and I cannot add anything to it. No matter how good, no matter how righteous, no matter how appropriate I live and do in my life, you know, uh, nothing makes me more acceptable to God. Nothing makes me more right with God. Nothing makes um, God want to love me more. Or like me better. There's nothing I can do to add to the way God feels about me in Christ because His grace is what has been given to me because of His love. And so my actions really don't change God's love for me. The problem in Galatia that they experienced as they tried to wrestle with this grace is they encountered a false teaching that basically said this, and someone came from outside and said, it's great that you have faith in Christ, but don't think that's enough. You know, you, you need to be circumcised. And then when you need to be circumcised, you also need to um, be willing to keep certain specific laws. And, and who knows how long the list was, but there are a lot of laws. <laughs> you know, and then there's a lot of ways to keep those laws that you have to do that are very challenging. You know, and, and here's the amazing thing. Now, men, these Galatians were willing to submit themselves to circumcision. Now, um, that's kind of personal. <laughs> you know, be- why? Because they wanted to be all the way Christians, and if that's what it took to be all the way Christians, okay. So, so these people, it's not like they, they don't have an intensity or a love or desire to honor God. They, they have that, but, but they've been taught something that's leading them away from the grace of God. You know, so I have met some people whose names will uh, not be mentioned who have such an intense desire to please God that it actually leads them away from living the life of the gospel, which seems strange, doesn't it? But they become known as uh, people who are, are Pharisees or people who just keep the rules. They've forgotten how to live in the grace of God, which is not an easy thing to do. So they were willing to be circumcised. But Paul says, if you get circumcised, if you try by, your, by being circumcised and keeping the law to make yourself acceptable to God, you're pursuing a whole different gospel. 
Don't, don't think that the gospel of Christ is going to be meaningful for you. You're deserting. You may not realize it, and I don't think they did. But you're deserting the gospel, the good news about the grace of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that grace, God's grace, does it all. There's no need for circumcision. There's no need for laws, keeping the laws, the Mosaic laws, that God through Christ has made us right with Him. Grace alone is meaningful. Grace plus something else becomes meaningless. Because at that point, grace is not enough. And Paul is saying, how can you say that about God? How can you say that the death of Christ for you is not enough? That you need to add something to it? You've misunderstood the gospel. And the further you go down that road, the further away you're going to go away from God. But the sufficiency of God's grace also becomes very challenged for us, doesn't it? If I'm okay with God, that's great. Then I, and I don't need to do anything. Is that right, Pastor? Okay. Then I'm free. I'm free to do what I want, right? I'm free to, you know, to, to do because God's made me right with Christ. I'm, I'm free to live however I want. And the gospel says, not so fast. Not so fast. In, a, in Galatians 5... Um, Paul is talking to, to these Christians and they're having some challenges with this and, and they're, um, you know, they're, not trying, they're trying to figure out how about this freedom and we're freed, right, so we can do anything we want. And he says, well, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Isn't that where we go wrong? We have freedom, we take freedom, but we use the freedom to serve our sinful nature, serve my sinful nature, serve your sinful nature, instead of serving one another in love. And we go wrong. Freedom is not just gives us the, the privilege of doing what we want. It gives us the privilege of following God and doing what He wants in a way that's beneficial for us and for others. And it's why so often... We come to a point in our life where we realize we're free and we start to exercise our freedom. And you know what? We're more miserable than we were before. Because that freedom wasn't about me and my way. The freedom that God gives through His grace is a freedom now to respond fully and completely to God. To live into that grace. The experience, the ongoing experience and understanding of God's grace profoundly affects the way we live and how we live. And Paul uses his life, the apostle, in this, in this uh, passage as an example. He says, you know how I've responded to the gospel in such a way that, for me, it's not meaningless? He says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trust in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. In other words, I go all the way with grace. Grace doesn't just rescue me, but grace becomes the way I live. You know, I look back at that old life, that old me, and I said, that, that, that old life is crucified. It's gone. It's dead. But I've been given a new life, and that new life is for Christ to live through me. Not for me to live through me anymore, but for Christ to live through me. And this life I live now, I live for the Son of God, who gave everything for me, and so now I give everything to Him. It's a challenging passage, isn't it? 
Sometimes we get into the Christian life, and maybe we get into the Christian life because someone told us you can be forgiven, and we can have you know, our guilt will go away, and all those things. And all those things are true. But we get to this passage. Whoa, 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 whoa! No one told me about this. You know, no, no one. And sometimes we don't. To be honest, we don't tell people that you know, grace is not just how you come into this relationship with God, but grace is how you live into it, and that grace is following God, being crucified with Christ. And here's what I think grace looks like in our lives as we continue to experience it. Grace reminds me of the cost, of the cost of Jesus Christ to free me and to bring me back to God. It makes me realize that my sin, past, present, and future, has a price. And that price is the death of Christ. Because if I think, and sometimes we do, don't we, that I can just sin and it doesn't have a cost, then we just do it. But when we realize that there's a cost to what I do, that it costs not just other people, it costs Jesus. And it makes us pause. And they said, do I really want to do that to him? Grace reminds me that there is nothing that I can add to what God has done for me, and therefore it humbles me. I don't know about you, but I know oftentimes we, we want to, I want to try to do things in such a way that will please God or make God more happy with me. And sometimes we start to think in those kinds of ways. And grace comes to us and says, you know what? You can't make God like you anymore or love you anymore or desire to forgive you anymore or to embrace you anymore by anything you do. And that is really, really, really different than what we think. And then grace, when experienced, leads me into three specific different directions that come together. It leads me to a life of thankfulness. You know, uh, when, I'm, when I am overwhelmed by the undeserving gift of God and I realize all I can do is give thanks. It, it changes my outlook. It changes what's going on. It, it, it allows us, as the scriptures even say, to give thanks in hardship. Because God's grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in my weakness. And so I really can't even thank God in hardship. I, by the way, I don't know about you, I'm not very good at doing that. I guess I need more practice, you know, to say, God, thank you for this hardship. Um, but when I respond in thankfulness, it means that I, I realize that the grace of God is valuable. It's important. Another way that, that experiencing the grace of God leads and directs me is love. Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, is what is important is faith expressing itself in love. You know, whenever he says this is important, it means it's important. What's important in life is faith, faith in God, expressing itself in love towards God, other people, yourself. That's what's important. There's a lot of other things that we run after that we think are important that, by the way, someday, probably if we last long enough, we'll go... That wasn't very important. But Paul says that faith in God, in this world, in what's going on in this world, expressing itself in love towards others is important. And one day we'll look back and we'll say, I'm glad I did that. I wish I'd done more. And we can do that at work. We can do that at home. We can do that in all the different places where we live life. In the grace of God, I see the love of God. And when I really see the love of God, then I love God back. And the reality is, if I don't love God, it means, yes, that I'm not seeing the love of God in the grace of God. I'm missing it. 
Maybe I'm too busy. Maybe I'm in a hurry. Maybe I'm tired. Whatever their excuses are, they don't really help me connect. But grace that comes to me and says, that's who you've been. That's what you've done. But the grace of God is still there. Hold on to it. Grab it and go with it. And the last thing that the grace of God leads me to experience is this obedience. Is obedience. When I experience the grace of God, I want to obey. Um, Because of love and thankfulness, the natural way to express those things is obedience to God. You know, when thankfulness and love and obedience are missing, the reality is we're not living in the grace of God. You want to know if you're living in the grace of God right now? This is a terrifying thought, actually. Are you loving God? You know, are you giving thanks? Or do you find yourself grumbling? So I won't ask a show of hands because my hands would go up too. But do you find yourself grumbling a lot? Um, you know, do you find your heart's desire to obey or to rebel? If you're not experienced those three things, then you know what? You're not, and I'm not living in the grace of God when we live that way. Grace frees me from my past, frees me from our sin frees me from trying to earn God's approval, and frees me to a new life of living in God's grace, to live in freedom, to live in thankfulness, to live in love and obedience. You know, I think the challenge for us and them is is kind of this, and maybe I'll just paint a picture, maybe this is more me than you, but maybe it's also you, is we try to work for God. Oftentimes we do that, don't we? we as Christians, we say, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm in a relationship with God, and so we start to say, okay, I, I work for God. And that work may be, you know, um, it may be here on Sunday. You may come and say, okay, I work for God here on Sunday. Um, you know, if you're in my case, you know, I, I work for God. What did some of you say? I work for God half a day on Sunday, you know, as opposed to the other. No, I do do more than that. Um, but you, we try to work for God. And we get tired. And then we do something fatal. We go off the clock. We say, I did my work, I did my thing, but now that's my, that's my life with God, and here's my other life, don't we? In which I'm going to live um, my way, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And instead of Paul's, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is reversed, isn't it? It is no longer Christ who lives for me, because I've given him some time off. But it is me who directs my life, and, and I'm doing now what I want to do. And as we direct our life, it is only a matter of time before we make a mess of it again. It won't take long. I think there's two things that the Apostle Paul would say to us from this book to help us to again come back and live in the grace of God. To not just come to faith through grace, but to realize too that we need to live in the grace of God. First is this, is to realize that that when we live a self-directed life, those actions are evident. It's just clear. It's not that hard to figure out what it looks like. Um, one of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about it looks like is, is there's lots of grumbling and quarreling going on. So if you're experiencing lots of grumbling and quarreling in your life, probably, probably, you're, you're not living in the grace of God. And in Galatians five nineteen through 21 he also gives us a, a helpful list. Isn't that nice of him? He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. 
I don't think Paul gave us that list so that we could check it off someday and say, you know what, I haven't done that, I haven't done that, I haven't done that, I'm okay. He gave us a list so that especially we could learn what it looks like when we're living a self-directed life, when we're not living in the grace of God. So that we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm on my own. And that's not what God called me into a relationship with Him to have, is a life on my own. But to be in relationship with Him. The second important thing he, he tells us, so first it's to realize that, it, that when you live a self-directed life, it becomes pretty clear over time what that looks like. And so be aware of it. Uh, the second thing is that uh, the importance of letting the Holy Spirit live in us, direct us, guide us, empower us, um, that we need the Holy Spirit. You may remember what Alan read in verses, uh, Galatians 3, verses 2 through 3. It says this, Let me ask you this, one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How, and listen to this. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your hu- own human effort? In other words, you started this relationship with God by grace. Why in the world would you try to live it on your own? as opposed to living it by grace. And you know how that grace becomes operative for living your life? It is the Holy Spirit of God that makes that reality in our life of living in the grace of God. A wise person once said that living the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. Maybe that makes you feel like, good. Huh, really? Is it impossible? It's impossible. Oh, good. That's what it was feeling like, impossible. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. So that the power of God at work in our life makes it possible. And sometimes I think what happens is we just try to work harder. We just try to be smarter. We just try to, you know, to find ways to say no different things as opposed to saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. You guide me. You fill me. You empower me. Because I've been, I've been saved and rescued and brought into this restorative relationship by grace. But you know what? I need that grace as much now. Holy Spirit, make that grace active in my life. And do we have choices to make? Absolutely. Can we say no to the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Can we go back and do it our own self? Yes. But the Holy Spirit will call us back and say, don't live that way. God didn't rescue you to live that way. He rescued you so that you could live in the Spirit by His grace. And when God does this, then we get to live into that real freedom, the freedom to serve God and other people. We get to live in a way that's thankful. Uh, We get to love God, ourselves, and other people. And the the Bible says this is the fruit that comes when we do that. It says, but the the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Which list would you prefer? (laughs) It's an easy way to say. Would you like the list of the things that end up destroying you, me, others? Or do we want the list that as we abide by the power of the Holy Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness... Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control becomes more and more who I am, how I live. And I start to take on that resemblance 
of God's child, which is what we're intended to be. By faith, we trusted God's grace to rescue us through Jesus Christ. And by faith, now we trust Him, God's Holy Spirit, to lead us through this life to the praise of His glory. There is no other plan B. There is no other way. God is not going to supercharge that old us. He says it needs to be on the cross. It needs to be considered dead. You no longer live for yourself, but for Christ, who gave his life so that you could live and have life. Meaningful grace is grace that frees. Meaningful grace is grace that leads us by the Spirit. Meaningful grace is grace that forgives. And when grace works in our life, we trust God and His Spirit and let Him lead us to a place that sometimes we would never go ourselves. But after we've been there, we say, thank you. This was a good place. Although I was afraid to go here myself. Nothing can be added to the grace of God, but to be effective in our life, it needs to be continually embraced by the Holy Spirit. And the great thing is grace is always available. It's available now. It's not just available later, it's available now. Grace enables us to become what God intends. It enables us to grow from our mistakes and our sins. It enables us to enter uh, together into God's work. Not as workers, as I mentioned before, but as thankful family members. As those who have been invited as God's children to do something wonderful and great. Something that someday around the table, and I mean that heavenly table, when, when all this world and the brokenness have passed away, we get to talk about and enjoy and celebrate and remember what we got to do as God's family here. And say, wasn't that great? I mean, this is better, but wasn't, isn't this better because that was great? What we got to do by the Holy Spirit here. When you and I are tempted either in thought or in deed to desert God, remember His grace. Remember that it was motivated by His love for us and by our need. Be humbled by that love again and learn to love the one who has given so much for you and for me. Let's bow our heads with you as we pray. Father, we often are like these foolish Galatians, foolish. We think that even though we have come to faith through grace, that is all your work that we now can live on our own. That we can be better. That we can fix things. That we will try harder. And again, we fall flat. Father, Help us to come back again to your grace. Help us to remember that we need to live by the grace that you give us right now and that that must come to us by the Spirit as we depend and yield to the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us not only grace, but the Spirit by which to make it alive and operative in our life. Lord, make us people who are full of thanks. Because although things around us may not be going right, the grace of God in our life is not only good and right, but can carry us through where we're at right now. Father, as we realize this, make us humble people. Reminded that what we are is not very much, not very good. That what we are that is good, you have created in us. And what has great value is what you have put in us. Lord, remind us that we're needy. 
that we cannot do what you've called us to do on our own. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now here in this place, in our lives. Fill us. Fill us so that we might be those who live in light and in the power of the grace that the Holy Spirit brings. Give us hearts that yield. Make us more like Christ by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.